Hey everybody, welcome to another inspiring episode of Founders Gyan. This is episode 30 and this week we are featuring the founders of Deliver that is D E L Y V E R.com. They are Afsal Salu, Praful Tacheri and Ribu Vergis. Deliver was India's first hyperlocal delivery service and they even are probably the first to even use this term in India. This was way back in 2010 when startups went so big. They recently got acquired by Big Basket. We had such a great time and good fun in recording this episode. I do hope you find it useful and interesting too. Do check out the show notes over at www.founderscan.com/ep30. This contains all the links to things we talk about on the show. Also check out founderscan.com/top for the top listened podcasts on the site. This is updated every single week. All right. I think that's enough for an intro. Fasten your seat belts and let's get started. Prafulla Afsal and Rimu welcome to the show. I'm super glad and pumped to be meeting with you today. A quick brief on the trio. They are the founders of Deliver, a hyperlocal delivery startup, which probably was the first in India. Not only that, Deliver also pioneered various business models like first aggregator for home cooked meals, first to introduce no minimum order in home delivery, etc. They were last year acquired by Big Basket due to their wild success. All three were batchmates in IIM Lucknow. Guys, great to meet you, and thanks a lot for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your knowledge. Wisdom and time with our listeners. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, can you guys fill in the blanks from the intro about your journey before Deliver? What were you doing? How did you? Uh, we will talk about the origin of Deliver, but we'll just uh, talk about just before Deliver. What were you guys doing? You could just give some salient points yeah. on. So actually, all of us are engineers uh, from different colleges. Uh, uh, we met at uh, IIM Lucknow. We were at the 2004 batch of IIM Lucknow. So after uh, this thing, all of us went our separate ways. So uh, I, I was with Philips uh, and was doing sales uh, in the initial, and then doing marketing with Philips in the lighting division. I was based out of Gurgaon. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so from the campus, I joined uh, Hindustan Unilever. Uh, where I was uh, with the IT and uh, supply chain team, so I worked for six years with Levers before uh, starting up Deliver along with Profilan people. Yeah, so uh, I joined uh, Wipro from campus, uh, part of their consulting division. Uh, did projects for the first three years, then moved to the Middle East. I was based out of Dubai, handling the Middle East and Africa markets, uh, business development essentially. Okay, excellent. Now let's talk a bit about the origin of Deliver. So we all know about Deliver and of course the big basket. But how did you guys come up with the idea for for this in the first place? So uh, maybe one of you could take it. So uh, we had um, two reasons why we got got together and uh, started out with Deliver. One was that you know while we were in campus itself uh, uh, for some startup competition event, we had. Uh, Actually, written a, a, a case study, which I mean, a, a business plan which is very similar to the idea of Deliver, right? 
Um, second was that uh, an on-demand kind of a business where you could uh, get your needs satisfied within uh, this thing uh, within six, uh, within probably you know a 60 minutes or a short time period was something which we uh, which where we thought there was a pain point while we were having our uh, lives you know uh, after after campus you know so there was a need which was felt and then there was a background to it and hence that was the genesis of uh, deliver as an idea Okay, so is it like uh, you are feeling the pain point for groceries, household groceries or? Not just something? groceries, I mean uh, as people living in, uh, let's say I was in Gurgaon, right? You, you wanted some, anything, it could be food, it could possibly be that vegetable when, when your maid has come in, uh, come on to cook. So in, any, in many of the things from your neighborhood retail outlet, so there were uh, was hence the first hyper local commerce business and we were beyond groceries we were into grocery food we were uh, delivering from Kings, cake flowers. shops flower shops all those kind of stuff but anything which is hyper local and on demand <coughs> okay <coughs> okay excellent so now for our budding founders listening out there uh, can you tell us how to come up with a good idea so Rebo is pointing Afsal's idea man. Okay, so Afsal's <laughs> idea man. So we will let Afsal answer this. How do you come up with a winning idea? Uh, good. Uh, so um, nowadays startups have become so popular and it's a fad to say that you are an entrepreneur or yeah. uh, startup founder. <laughs> yes. Um, that wasn't the case when we started up way back in 2010. And at, at that time we realized that it is, it is not only about the idea. Mm-hmm. It's also about flawless execution. Right. Followed up. So we we looked at various market opportunities uh, that would be uh, across multiple sectors. So even if you have identified a sector, it is very important to identify the size of that market as well. So first is the idea, then estimating the market in terms of whether there are other players, whether there are global comparables in the same space, right. how big that market can be in future. Followed up with a plan which would identify how to scale it up. So okay. it's applicable for any idea. Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, I would just add to yeah. this. Okay. I mean, uh, more often than that, since we have interacted with a lot of founders, also what we found is that somewhere it is uh, that they have experienced a pain which was probably uh, that something which on their own personal experiences. So there are many stories of many startups where they started off because uh, the founder felt there was a gap in the whole thing, right? So, uh, for example, if you look at it today, right? I mean, uh, recently we all, uh, all had kids and uh, uh, if, if I go to a particular this thing, the whole vaccination thing starts up. Right. And uh, you go to the hospital today, it's all still a largely manual process. You know, you have each vaccination, you have to put a sticker somewhere, keep mm. it in storage, make sure that the vaccination, this thing happens. There is no... No, nothing that is solving or easing the pain around, you know. And then you look at it, okay, you're feeling this. Now, you look at it in a larger aspect of it. Uh, there is, your medical records are all still in paper, mostly. You know, you don't have a consolidated place. So there is, now now you feel there, there is a place for people to really get in and solve a pain point which which really exists, right? right. So now, now it's up to the guy who is an entrepreneurial guy to, right. uh, now do something about it. Right, right. right. So I think more and more... It, I mean, you need not probably be thinking too much of the this thing. Probably from your own experiences, you could come up with it. Right. So, so that's a that's a good point. I just want to talk a bit more on that now. Uh, kind of uh, I, the next question is ideation to creation. So, what do you, what is a person 
need to do in order to uh, make the idea into a reality. Now, uh, obviously, a personal pain point is a very good starting point, but uh, may not necessarily be uh, the idea for a startup, right? So, uh, is that part of ideation to creation? Is that part of idea idea uh, ideation where you you look at the market size and say, okay, is there a big enough market? Will people pay for this? You know, which part would you say it is? Is it idea or ideation to creation? So, um, if you see, uh, very often many of the uh, hugely successful companies in the world uh, started from a personal pain point. So, if you take Uber, for example, uh, the founders, it, it started as a project for the founders to hitch rides across San Francisco, right? And then it just grew from that. If you look at Facebook, well documented, you know, he set it up to take out pain from him, his, his heart, you know, to do it and that's how it came out, right? So very often the best ideas are from personal pain points. Doesn't mean that all ideas will scale uh, or become large companies, right? Uh, the idea itself, you know, should have some merit in it that it's not scaling, right? So uh, what I would say is, you know, uh, don't try to ideate to build a business. You ideate because you really want to solve something. If that happens to be a big business, wonderful about it, right? Uh, that's that's when the passion really shows, and that's when you really get onto something, right? Uh, that's that's what I would say. Okay, so you're not building companies for valuation alone, right? Okay, you're 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 building something to solve a problem, right? So that's that's I think the key takeaway here. Now, <clears throat> let's talk a bit about ideation to creation. Now, uh, what should a person need to do? Okay, let's say. They have uh, identified a pain point, they understand that it's a real problem, other people have the problem, they want to solve the problem. So what are the steps they need to do in order to make the idea into a reality? I mean, one of you could just maybe take the case of deliver itself and uh, walk us through the steps that you took once you had the idea. What did you do? Did you build a prototype? Did you go to market? Did you do multiple things? What was the thought process like? So, uh, immediately after the idea comes the team, even before you start moving into the creation space. Because first you'll have to identify whether you have got the right skill set within the team. Right. It could be within the founders or with the team which you would have built, which will help you create that product or service. So, in terms of identification of skills which are available within the founders, it's very important that you look at whether you have complementary skills within the team, whether there is any particular role which is missing mm -hmm. from the co-founder's skill set, which you will have to look at bringing from outside and then putting it in place first. So then only the right product can be created. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, first from from whatever the idea that you are having uh, you need to be able to chalk out to see how are you going to add value to the customer right and pain point that you uh, have how is it how are you going to set about solving that pain point right mm -hmm. and is it going to really add either convenience or save time or money mm -hmm. for your customer so and uh, once it is majorly, you know, about a convenience or saving time and money for the customer is where most of the businesses play around, right? So, uh, in, in one, that particular case, 
then then you work around to see whether you know how you're going to leverage technology to do that how you're going to build up teams to do that how you're going to uh, who all are going to be uh, who all are there other people who share the same passion about this all those kind of stuff starts coming and putting uh, you can put all those things into place right uh, i would say you know i mean if you ask me also you know one of the best ways of uh, creating a company is also that once a few of these earlier stages are uh, solved as i mean answers are found on the ideation stage if the person in kind is a person who's working around you now you leave your job so that you know and just start right 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 yeah. so then, then it a lot more things start falling into place that's what we have found at least right okay okay excellent uh, answer now we are hear about founders sacrificing family time to make their ventures a success Tell us about your own family and how you manage to balance family and business. Uh, I think all three of you uh, should answer this because sure. Sure. So uh, okay, from my uh, this thing, uh, I was married to a bachelor of ours from I am like now. right so uh, we had uh, i mean we always knew that we would start up some uh, at some point in time right and uh, uh, we had kind of an agreement in which you know uh, 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 she would be supporting the family through the first 2 3 years of uh, the entrepreneurial journey and uh, then we will take a call after the, at the end of 3 years as to how to uh, because you you are sacrificing a lot of things you are right. sacrificing career opportunities abroad all a lot of things you know a lot of money and right. uh, stuff and everything lifestyle also right the lifestyle choices are all under compromise so some kind of a, uh, understanding earlier on with your partner uh, helps a lot you know because they also are going to be paying with whatever you're going to do and uh, right. based on time money lifestyle these things everything so it might make sense to have a discussion earlier on and you know have them in your team Right. So, so we probably had uh, uh, first time in your team. <laughs> 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So we had her supporting us early on uh, with the first uh, when you know, when we were the call center customer support care and all. Probably over the weekends they would help us out and all, and everybody was involved. Yeah, but this was also we choose a business in which your weekends are the most loaded, and right. you're coming from a five-day week culture, uh, right. right? And uh, it, it was a big enough cultural sh- sh- shock for us, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I think everybody has to find their own uh, these things, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I had uh, married six months. before starting up okay. so it was not only managing the expectations of my uh, wife right. it's also about the extended family right uh, so um, i was lucky to have a partner who was able to understand mm-hmm. the challenges in starting up but at the same time the excitement of starting up and being an entrepreneur on your own so she was very very supportive and that helped us because uh, we looked at how we will be able to build the company and whether the time when we will not have multiple income opportunities right. so at least for the first one year when i not able to bring any income to home mm-hmm. she was very supportive in terms of telling that we would manage all the expenses um, defining a way in which our lifestyles won't get hit but we are able to build this up so um, it, it it was same for all three of us because we had our wives working and that helped us comfortably get on to this uh, phase of starting up being on your own for some time managing expenses till we could start generating 
income out of the startup okay people you have something to add sure uh, so my experience has been a little different that i got married about 10 days before starting up so uh, okay. so you guys are beating each other right yeah, yeah. you got married earlier 6 months <laughs> then you say no i'm biggest i got married only 10 days kind of yeah so uh, the point is uh, i think we all need to find our own way out right uh, there's no question about it uh, starting up takes a lot of your time Uh, family time that you could have spent with your family to the point that you know the company and your founders are more family than your uh, you know your blood relatives in that sense right uh, and each each person has to find out how best to balance uh, the life uh, uh, you know the requirements at home right uh, i guess all of us have been lucky in that we have had very supportive families uh, you know who took a lot of um, lot of uh, our absence sportingly right and uh, touch wood things have worked out well uh, you know uh, enough so okay excellent now we talk let's talk a bit more something a bit more personal so can you tell us about uh, something about yourself that is not commonly known so we do you go first <laughs> all three have done this it's an interesting question something that is not commonly known Um, commonly known between the co-founders or uh, probably between you guys may not be that much of a secret, but uh, maybe to other people within the company or outside the company or other friends circle, so something that that is not commonly known about yourself. Uh, or you can take time with that. Maybe probably that that's a good idea. Probably will start with Afsal. Afsal, yeah. Forty. Once again. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, these guys would know about this particular stuff. Um, so I am a philatelist, mm-hmm. which I don't think anyone in the company mm-hmm. would have known. Just because these two guys have heard me talking about it, they would have understood it. So philatelist is someone who collects stamps, and it is a serious hobby. Mm-hmm. So I have been doing that for the last twenty-five years, wow. and I am also part of. multiple philatelic committees okay okay um, one which is there in karnataka then there is one in malaysia singapore so okay that is something which gives me freedom from everything else i get some self time when i spend mm. on philately and that's a passion which i have been continuing for the last 25 years okay. and i'm sure i will keep that alive great so how big is your collection how do you how do you define number or number of countries number of stamps how do you so that's how i started but now i've started focusing on a particular theme which is um, on tigers okay so i have about 600 plus stamps of different countries on tiger okay okay brilliant praful something about yourself not it's very difficult to keep things about yourself hidden you know when you are not open <laughs> pretty much out in the open but something like uh, i have heard answers like um, i am an adventure freak or i love outdoors <laughs> i love long distance driving i like cooking i like dancing yeah. so uh, on a lighter note uh, i once managed to have breakfast in europe uh, lunch in asia and dinner back in europe oh so okay okay we okay. managed in the same day okay uh, so yeah so there is nothing about me i'm going to open book <laughs> 
Okay, cool. We're going to we're going to pass on to the next question. So uh, that's okay. Uh, we got something nice from Afsal. We'll pass on to the next question. So, what's the best advice somebody has given you, or alternatively, best advice you have heard? All three. So, um, okay, we go here. So, uh, I guess uh, the best advice that I've ever received is never to give up. Right? Whatever happens, it's uh, your idea. The world may say no. Right? And and we have had quite a few people tell us uh, no, and you know, in a nice manner. I mean, they were concerned for us, so they said, you know, um, look at other options. But we we stuck to the grind, and the advice of never give up is what paid out at the end of the day for us. So okay. that's that's probably the best advice I've got. Great. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind um, when you say the best advice we ever heard is. Um, the statement which uh, Steve Jobs has made on time. Um, so what he has said is, time is the most precious resource that's available to all of us, and how you spend that determines where you will be. So that's so relevant for startups, as Rebo has also said. It, it is about utilizing that time really well, and not spending too much time brooding on it, acting on it, and continuously improvising that. Right. Excellent. Okay. I don't know whether this is advice, advice as such, but still, you know, uh, one of the mentors that we had once we started off deliver. Okay, uh, one of the things that he told us, uh, sat us down and told us, is that you might be doing all things that is uh, right, right, uh, but having done everything that is right, operating in a market which is huge, and all everything which is positive, you know, tick for build a large uh, startup. Uh, but there is always something a small element of luck mm. in the whole startup uh, space right right so uh, it could be just that the whole uh, economy tanked because of some issue that you might be in for something if so it, it does not really really matter whether you walk out of this with a lot of money and stuff like that and all but if you are able to walk out of the startup and at the end of the day if you just have your shirt on your back but you're able to hold your head high and walk out, right? Uh, then you should guys should consider it as a good successful journey, right? A journey which is good enough uh, to have spent time and effort on, right? So, which is something which we had at the back of our mind while we went through the whole thing, right? Okay, okay, excellent, excellent advice. I just want to come back to you, Ribu. Uh, yep. Maybe this question isn't specifically for you, but uh, something that you talked about: never give up kind of um, uh, triggered this in me. So, uh, you were mentioning that a lot of people said uh, in a nice way, uh, maybe this won't work out, change and things like that. So, uh, what's the uh, difference you would say between being uh, persistent versus, you know, being stubborn and, you know, uh, continuing to work on a failed idea? You know, sure. what, what, how would you, in your experience, sure. differentiate between the two? Sure. So uh, I think uh, one of the things that an entrepreneur must know is uh, uh, they sh he should he or she should have a sense of when uh, you know to walk away, right? If, if it's required. Okay. <coughs> Sorry about that. I'm having a slight cold, but right. Um, let me let me explain it to you from Deliver's uh, perspective, right? Uh, we were India's first hyperlocal uh, commerce firm, way ahead of any of the. Numerous companies that have started up in the last couple of years, right? Uh, we started in 2010, and 
when we went around trying to raise money and convince people of the idea, including the sellers to come on our platform, etc., we found a lot of resistance. Some of it was simply because they couldn't understand the idea. Some of it was that this would not work. Some of it was, you know, uh, this is not yet done anywhere else in the world. You know, people uh, tend to find comfort if it's already executed somewhere else, right? And then you become a copycat model. But we are trying something very different. Uh, and we, we sat down, we faced a lot of rejection, we sat down and we thought about it and what we realized was that, you know, the market is not ready for it. It doesn't mean your idea is bad, right? We realized the market is not ready, probably there have to be some changes in the market, etc. Cut to 2014, right? The changes that we expected, technology had improved, mobile connectivity had improved, uh, you know, there were a few models, similar models started in the West and, you know, there was a lot of hype going around it, funding, etc. And suddenly the, 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 the ecosystem just you know, opened up and the idea came of age, right? And what we started in 2010 helped us move on with the idea and this is where we have reached and a lot of other startups have failed along the way, right? So the first instance was knowing that you had to give your due, you, know, you had to put in the effort because it was not because the idea was bad, it's just that you were a little early for it, right? The second instance, the time had come and we made it work, right? And that's, that's what it is. So I guess the difference is that you have to judge it from, you know, when, when people give you advice, good or bad, uh, you have to be able to understand what's being said and then take a very realistic call based on the environment, based on uh, other scenarios, etc. Right. Uh, and, and then, you know, take a decision to Okay. Okay. Brilliant. Thanks uh, for that reboot. Now, we all know that startups come with a lot of pressure. So, can you give us some tips on how we can handle pressure when things aren't going so well? Let me put it this way, okay. Um, uh, there are multiple uh, kinds of pressures. One is uh, the funding related pressures and your money running out in the bank, uh, your fundraise pressures, all those kind of stuff. There are operational pressures uh, of having to do long hours, uh, some kind of family urgencies and stuff like that. Alone, right? um, one thing which was good for us because there were three of us as co-founders is that uh, even at the toughest of times, there would be at least one or two, one person who is still in very high spirits on that particular day, right? right. So uh, that could just bring the energy back onto everybody else, right? right? And this could person, this could be somebody else every single day, you know, right? right? So, and uh, when it comes to some things not going well with respect to inside workings and all, we could always sit down and figure it out, right? right? And uh, we. We were not in a hurry, hurry, hurry to execute uh, and this thing, we would take our time to execute it correct, get the customer experience at the best possible for us, right? Right, And uh, hence the those pressures were easily more manageable. Right. But I think it was having a co-founder team with multiple people in it, which did help us ease out on a lot of pressure. Okay, so that, that nicely ties in with my next question, which I think you answered. So my next question was, how important is it to have co-founders in a startup? Now, this is uh, really a great uh, answer that you gave that the co-founders are important when there are pressures. So is it like an unanimous agreement that you need co-founders in a startup uh, to be successful or do you think single uh, team form, single member founders can also be successful? I think, uh, you know, uh, both work, right? But uh, our experience, at least, you know, my feeling on this is that uh, it definitely helps to have a co-founder. Like the Prophet just mentioned, you know, there are days when you're down uh, and, you know, having the 
the your partner uh, or your co-founder uh, in good spirits and him pulling you out of the boat on that day or taking the load off your shoulder and saying just go off you know go take a break and I'll manage it is a huge thing right doesn't mean that single founders don't become successful lots of stories there also but uh, yeah I would I would put my boat the other way okay uh, so can you tell us about your worst entrepreneurial moment and how did you turn it around and the lessons you learned from that experience could be just on deliver one of you can take the question or if each of you has a personal worst moment you could share it uh, see I mean, for us I mean, uh, let me say, put it this way as a business model we had uh, probably stuck on with what we had started off uh, quite early itself you know it was to get all the retail outlets in the neighborhood to come online and uh, shop and you being the uh, platform where people can shop from them right probably uh, uh, we were uh, bootstrapped at about uh, for almost about a year year and a half and that point in time you know uh, we had i mean uh, probably ran out of uh, um funds to expand and stuff like that and all right uh, so th- those that was a low point i mean in the sense like we had a kind of gone already you know <laughs> negative about the whole thing right, right. Uh, we have spent more money than we actually had in bank and uh, we were there at that point in time but um, yeah so that, i think that was one of the points in time when you know actually we ran out of cash otherwise we used to be very very judicious with utilization of cash and everything of that sort yeah. uh, but uh, the, the frenzy with which we used to meet investors at that point in time to get a round of investment and all and to convince people at, at those times about an idea like hyperlocal right even the word hyperlocal was probably not used at those times yeah, so we went negative and then we actually managed to close a deal, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, out of desperation, you, you had no choice. Not really out of desperation, but it was working on the way and we were going into negative with that parallel events, right? Okay. So we were trying to raise angel investment and everything of that sort. We were meeting people and all those things also, right? Uh, so I don't think the investors ever knew that we were in the negative and we raised money. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they, okay. they, we always used to portray as if, you know, we had enough cash in the bank always. Okay, and so... Uh, you'd say that was kind of the turning point when you raised the money was that like a turning point like it uh, was a word of confidence at least yeah right. at least yeah so Ganesh and uh, Meena and uh, Srini uh, invested in us along with Shankar Bhavada who's a co-founder of Marketix yeah so uh, that investment came as a word of confidence uh, in the whole idea as such and something could really be worked out on it so so from there from, from being a neutral this thing to going down and then bouncing back on the basis of having all of them come on board, not just with the money, but as as people who could advise us and uh, through right. the journey, right? Right. Uh, it was a turning point for us. Okay, brilliant. Now, of course, this chat won't be complete without talking about your acquisition of uh, by Big Basket. So, being acquired, of course, is one of the dreams of many entrepreneurs. Next only to IPO, I believe. IPO is <laughs> the aim. So, how did you guys manage to do this? So we were in the market to raise funds. We are also open for strategic investments, right? Uh, with Big Basket, uh, they were into inventory-led model of uh, and uh, a slot-based delivery. Uh, this thing for groceries. Um, it was uh, time. It was a good time for them to also to introduce uh, an express delivery of groceries to cater to a particular uh, grocery purchase behavior. Right. So, uh, and uh, they knew that we had the understanding of the market, understanding of the operations, the 
the tech know-how, all everything required to build something like that, right? So currently, we uh, what we are doing is uh, rolling out grocery deliveries for Big Basket in one hour under the Big Basket Express thing. We have already done it across about ten cities. Right? Also, we had a lot of expertise in setting up marketplaces and running the neighborhood marketplaces. Right. Uh, we are again setting it up as another business called the Big Basket Speciality Business, where we bring neighborhood uh, speciality stores, which are grocery-related stores, onto the platform. So uh, there is was a lot of fit between what we did and what they were looking for, right? right? And it was pretty complementary skill set that both the companies had, and it made for a good acquisition. Right. Uh, but in maybe simple terms, like for a, uh, for a founder listening out there, if they obviously they want to go IPO, right? But if not, uh, is it like worth building a company to be acquired, or is it like? Do the best in your market. What would you say is like one line of advice, uh, kind of that can fit into how you were acquired by Big Basket? So um, let's let's be very uh, candid here. Uh, if you take money from investors uh, to build your company, at some point in time you have to give them returns, right? Right. Uh, that could be through an IPO. It could be uh, by getting acquired. Uh, it could be by becoming uh, immensely profitable. So there are multiple options around it, right? And as an entrepreneur, uh, there will be times when each of these options are presented to you, and you have to decide, you know, what's right for you, what's not right. So we all know the famous story of Justel, you know, not going IPO for 14 years, multiple times he tried and didn't, but he held out and then finally went IPO in, you know, in the last year or so. Right? Uh, there are cases where uh, companies were offered huge sums of money. Didn't sell out, and and then you know finally got acquired for a very small amount of money. So there's no real right or wrong path, right? It varies from each person to I mean each company to the other, right? Uh, but but it's important for the founder to really really be able to take a call. And uh, trust me, money is not the factor that finally decides. You know there will be so many other things which come into play. Uh, you know money would probably be way down that list, right? Uh, you would be more involved, more concerned about what you have built, the legacy you leave, the employees you have hired. You know, because uh, my experience has been that many of these employees you personally identify with them, right? When, when people joined us, I mean, we never looked at them as employees as such. It was more an external family, and we could personally identify, and they could with us also, right? Spend many, like Rafael said, you know, the weekends are spent in office because we chose a business that was simple, and, and that builds a shared relationship. And then you start thinking about them as well. So there are multiple other factors. And you take a call uh, based based on where you are. Okay. Excellent. Thank you uh, very much both for that. Now, I already mentioned that in the intro that you guys pioneered a lot of things in India. So, uh, talk us to some of these. Maybe pick one or two of these. And uh, how did you guys decide that you could be the first to do that? How did you know that you would be successful in something that has never been attempted? Maybe just pick. One or one one of the things that you pioneered. Uh, so the first thing which we say that we are the first hyperlocal neighborhood commerce firm. Um, when we started, there wasn't any other company which was trying to do the same thing. As Prafulla had mentioned earlier, the word hyperlocal itself was not right. popular. Right. So we started up without claiming to be the first hyperlocal. So we realized that there is a good need for bringing these neighborhood stores online. And then we identified categories which are relevant for a consumer in the neighborhood. We brought them together. 
Right. So that was something which we did, which right. wasn't there anywhere else in the country. Right. Once we started doing that, since you are the first comer or you are the first player who is trying to do something like this, uh, there are a lot of associated things which again you will not find either a readily available supplier or a product. So you go into building all those products which are required for getting your model also live. For example, uh, when we started doing delivery of food, we realized that the food need to be delivered hot and fresh and hence we need carry bags. Right. The hot bags which are nowadays being used by every single delivery company. So we realized that there is no product such as that which is available. So we went to a guy who is making bags for the pizza companies. We sat with him, we designed a prototype. We were the first guy who gave him money to build a mold for that. And now we know that that guy is supplying to every other hyperlocal company in the country also. So we clearly know because we created that product. Right. He also claims that we were the first customers right. for him. So that gives us a conviction that we, since we were the first players in this field, there were a lot of things. One is this particular bag. Then we were the first company again to launch breakfast delivery. Right. So there are a lot of such restaurants available in Bangalore where we went to them and told them that we will start getting orders online for them. Mm. The sagas which are right. omnipresent in Bangalore. Right. There wasn't anyone who was doing that. Right. So we were not looking at records in some book and saying that boss there is nothing available in that and let's create that right. we realized that there is a definite gap right and we went ahead and then okay. filled in that gap okay yeah so so you didn't look at it as doing something new you just looked at it as a gap or as a need and you went ahead and solved the problem and now in hindsight you can look back and say you know what we were the first okay. so that's that's a great story so thanks for that now uh, we just have like a few more questions, just two or three more questions. Now, Deliver is close to six years now and hindsight is always 2020. but if you were to do things different when you first started, what would it be? Uh, there is a difference between uh, probably in India about going back six years and the current situation, right? right. So if you are an entrepreneur who wants to probably start up today, the way that you need to approach is a bit different in the sense like uh, the ecosystem is much, much, much more uh, mature. Right. So it may not be that you need to bootstrap yourself and spend two years to get a round of funding, right? Those kind of timelines are all gone, right? right? So, uh, I mean, while you are uh, contemplating the idea of starting up itself, you could plug into a lot of these networks, and by the time you are out of your job, you could actually be somebody who is probably uh, in the deal for a, a small angel round of funding so that you can do your product, a prototype, your product market fit, all those things, right? Uh, today, it is also possible to raise money before you prove a lot of traction or complete uh, product market fit of your product. All this kind of stuff is possible today, right? right? So I would say that uh, uh, also that uh, if you have to go back and do, we could possibly have networked, I mean, I mean, possibly network much, much, much more because uh, that's one thing that matters in entrepreneurship. Okay. So, um, for startups, uh, future is going to be much better than today and that's going to be the case for any new companies which will come. Right. Um, the, uh, the advance of technology which we have seen in the last three, four years 
Right. It's created so many opportunities for companies to start up and that's going to be the same thing in future as well. Right. So it's about identifying the right ingredients for your startup okay. and then starting at the right time of the market maturity. Okay. That's going to define whether you would become a roaring success immediately. Okay. Probably that, uh, you know, if you see the trend right now, you know, starting a little earlier could have helped, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when, when you're pretty much on your own and you have a lot more flexibility, etc. Right? So, you know, if I did go back, I would say, you know, maybe rather than wait uh, to start 2010, I should start in 2006, maybe. Excellent. Uh, so, can you recommend any books or resources for our buddy entrepreneurs? So, I'll, I'll uh, recommend the book Execution uh, by Ram Charan. Uh, simply because, you know, uh, one of our investors once told us, you know, that with 8 billion people on the planet, no ideas are original, right? Uh, everything's already been tried. And if you see, you know, uh, Facebook, there were multiple other, you know, uh, social media sites out there. Uh, so, so the whole, uh, you know, success factor uh, in the startup is essentially execution. You know, how well you execute your idea better than somebody else. And that's that's what really, really makes a difference. So, you know, if, if people think just ideating helps, uh, I would bet to differ. It's, it's all about executing it. So that's oh. a book I would write. Okay, absolutely. Any book? There's a book which all three of us have read, um, which is gifted by Prafal. Uh, which is uh, Delivering Happiness right. by Tony Singh. Uh, yeah, Zappos. Zappos. So it was much relevant for us because we were in the business of delivering products and we realized that we were delivering convenience to the customers and hence we wanted to make sure that happiness is a package which we are delivering. Okay, brilliant. I, I would also actually go with execution as a book that uh, people mm-hmm. should read. But since Rigo already mentioned it, probably, you know, I think Rikshmi Bansal's uh, Stay Hungry, Stay Foolish and this, that series of books there, which she has written, right. uh, captures a lot of entrepreneur stories and, uh, and, the, uh, and the struggles and triumphs associated with the same thing, right? It, it, it was uh, very inspiring for us when we started off to read that, yeah. Okay, okay, excellent. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, so I just have one final question. So, but before we move on to that, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, are you guys active on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter? Do you have a blog? What's the best way to reach out to you guys? Uh, sure. Yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter is good. Otherwise, our email IDs are on firstname at deliver.com for each of us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just have one final question, but uh, before I move to that, I just want to take the time to acknowledge and thank you for sharing your knowledge to myself and our listeners. Sure. And I'm also very grateful for the value you are adding into the world's of world by means of your startup. So with that, we'll move on to the final question. So if there is one gyan that you could give our would-be founders, what would that be? So I, I'll stick on with the answer that I probably uh, heard, I mean, all the advice that I was given earlier, which I mentioned earlier also, right? Uh, this whole startup thing is not about uh, uh, anybody else. It is not about... Uh, what whether you have sold your company or gone to IPO or anything of that sort, it's it's your journey, right? And at the end of the journey, even if you are okay with the fact that you know you just have a shirt in your back and you are able to hold hold your head and high and uh, walk away or walk out of it, uh, 
and be happy with the whole thing then it 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 is time well spent right so having that mindset uh, takes away a lot of pressure from you and makes the journey enjoyable as well yeah. okay excellent thank you afsar yeah um, so i've left two tag lines one is do it to yourself and uh, do it now um, most of the startups learn stuff by the co-founders doing things first and then understanding the product and then building a team for doing that so as founders you should be ready to do it if you are building a product you should try to use it first see how it behaves and then make sure that you are able to build a better one out of it and second one is do it now um, you can't wait for posterity you have to make sure that any moment available to you now you utilize it really well and see what comes out of it so it's not about too much of ideation it's about execution immediately followed by crystal clear ideation okay yeah so uh, i would say that uh, the best time to start up was is not today it was yesterday since you're not done that you might as well just go ahead with it okay excellent thank you all three of you for your wonderful uh, uh, advice and uh, and time and it was a real pleasure chatting with you and wish you continued success in your venture. Hey, thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks, Pakistan. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring story of a startup and its founders. I hope you enjoyed it. Do check out the show notes over at founders.gyan.com/ep30. Also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The address is facebook.com/foundersgyan and twitter.com/foundersgyan. We provide multiple tips and resources for startups on these links. So if you are a startup or looking to start you'll find the resources invaluable. I'll see you all next week with yet another inspiring startup and their founder. In the meantime I hope you got inspired and do take action on your own startup today. Goodbye for now and stay inspired.